thank you to Chuck, Pastor Chuck. As most people are at home today, uh, I appreciate this opportunity to get before you. He came to me a little while ago and, and asked me to do this service on Thanksgiving, and I thought it was appropriate that we talk about uh, the pilgrims. But first, a little bit of my background. As, as most of you know, I lead the prayer team. And I really enjoy that, have been doing that for a few years now. And uh, really, it's been an enlightening experience, uh, all of the struggles that we go through on a daily, weekly basis. And uh, I just really thank that prayer team as well. I also uh, I want to thank uh, my wife, Monica, who has been really supportive. I've, I've been able to, through guidance from the Holy Spirit and uh, patience from my wife and friends, I've been able to uh, uh, put together and write a book called The Biblical Entrepreneur's Experience. As you may know, I also was the lead at uh, Cairn University for the entrepreneurship program, the lead entrepreneur. I want to thank the Holy Spirit as he has really guided both the book and the sermon. Isn't it interesting? I find it interesting how the Holy Spirit works. So you start in a certain place, and I certainly started in a certain place, at least in my mind, uh, with the book, and then ended up in a completely different place. And that that's a testament to our following and listening to uh, the Holy Spirit's guidance. It's, it's just that simple. I mean, we really have to remove ourselves from this daily grind and sit down and go through the process which makes a successful entrepreneur, a biblical entrepreneur, uh, a process that's very specific. And not to go too deeply, but in the book, I draw a relationship between bees, you know, the bees, and uh, uh, biblical experience, the biblical entrepreneur's experience. So, what we do is, uh, what bees do is they create this royal jelly. And this royal, and that's what it's called, royal jelly. So this royal jelly is made up of a series of enzymes and different uh, things that they pick up. And this bee, they know that they're cultivating a bee. And by the way, if I use the wrong terms, I apologize in advance. But uh, these, so they feed Everybody, all of the bees get a little bit of this royal jelly. But the queen bee gets copious amounts. She gets a huge amount of this royal jelly. That's how it gets so big. And uh, so what we have done, certainly with, with the book, is taken a look at these queen bees, these biblical entrepreneurs who have gone out and changed the world. Now, I thank Chuck for this week particularly. You know, Chuck gets up, he, he, he is fantastic. He gets up and he'll say, every once in a while, he'll throw something out there. Well, Sean is my cousin. Well, Sean is my stepbrother. <laughs> I chuckle. We're actually, you know, because he's drawing this relationship, because I'm a little bit taller than Chuck is, and so he, he thinks it's funny. He, he does. He thinks it's hilarious. And, and so uh, th- there's truth in it. If you go back uh, 400 years on the Mayflower, and this is the Thanksgiving service, uh, we'll talk about the pain and suffering in the next uh period of time, we'll talk about the pain and suffering and the commitment that they had because they were bees, biblical entrepreneurs, out there doing it. 
I'm going to try not to, you, you, you can get some popcorn at home, but I'm going to try and make this as simple and as complete as possible at the same time. Love to talk to you about it. Before I get into it, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks for the blessings that you have provided this church, this church family, and all of those who are suffering through whether we're all suffering, Lord, through fear or anxiety or they're physically hurt. And all of those that the prayer team prays for on a continual and regular basis. Prayer changes things. And we are very thankful that you have allowed us to meet today, that you have guided uh, through the Holy Spirit uh, this service, these songs, and we just so appreciate your presence with us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Chuck asked me, uh, speaking of, oh, let me get back to how we're related. So, uh, basically what we are, I use, I'm going to use some terms loosely. So we'll say, yes, we're half brothers. But of course it was 400 years ago. And I'm going to get into that a little bit. Talking about the biblical experience of these pilgrims. They weren't actually pilgrims. They were separatists. And these separatists would uh, fully believed in the Bible. Imagine that. That wasn't allowed. Well, we're kind of living that today, I think. <laughs> Our foundational verse, and, and Chuck asked me to put together this foundational verse, is from Ezra. Ezra 8.23 So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us. And he heard our prayers. Let's dive into this a little bit. We fasted. This is a corporal experience. Everyone is doing this together. We fasted. We earnestly prayed earnestly in other words sometimes we we all get out there and uh, on occasion we'll just i'm no different than anyone else we just go through the motions all right i say my prayers and then i go to sleep well they earnestly prayed they were on their knees begging our god this is a shared god this is their belief the God of the Bible. This God of the Bible is different than any other God that's out there. And there are a lot of gods out there. A lot. And I'm not going to go through the list, but you can name it. Everything from believing in a spiritual being to money. There are a lot of gods out there. And uh, we can count them, and they believed in one God. He will take care of us. Our God, the shared God, will take care of us. Right? Pilgrims felt that way. They felt that God would take care of them. And he did. They just didn't know it at the time. And he heard our prayers. Corporal, one body, in the name of God. What we do in the B books, and then I'm going to stop talking about it, is talk about this experience, this life experience of believing in God and how this experience has changed the world we live in. These people, through following the Bible, through believing and having faith first, have changed the world. This is... (laughs) I was sitting, so so I'm sitting, and I presented my manuscript to a group of uh, professors, and 
uh, I presented this manuscript, and uh, they read it to their credit. And it, believe me, it was long. It was the the paragraphs were forever long. It was it was a little bit of a mess, but at the same time, the core idea came through. And one of them, and which was kind of a really interesting statement, says that he says to me in in this group, he says out loud, I couldn't believe it. Well, you made a statement that we could change the world. We can't change the world. Well, I, I was referring to and talk about John D. Rockefeller. Did he change the world? He was a Baptist, solid, believe it or not. Gets a lot of bad press. Madam C.J. Walker. All right, we talk about this woman who was born. Imagine you're born, the firstborn, during, right after uh, emancipation, right after the slaves are freed. You know what she ended up doing? She ended up becoming the first female self-made millionaire. All right? Because she believed in the Bible. And to digress, this was going to be, this, this sermon was going to be all about her, but we can save that for another uh, sermon. Holy Spirit led in a different way. Strive Masayiwa. This guy fought everything and is fighting today everything out of Africa uh, and has really changed and brought Christ into his business. You should read his notes. This is fantastic stuff. Along with his wife, by the way, who has supported and guided him through the whole process. It's really quite fantastic. He, interestingly enough, serves on the uh, Rockefeller Foundation. Nehemiah, yes, the biblical Nehemiah. How was this guy an entrepreneur? Well, he rebuilt the walls. He followed the leading of Christ. He built something from nothing. There was no walls. There was no Jerusalem. There was nothing in Jerusalem at that point in time. It was literally a dung pile. Dung as in you take out the dung. <laughs> it was quite terrible. And he, through the leading of Christ and the Holy Spirit, went back and rebuilt the wall in an incredibly short period of time. We talk a little bit about the Walker brothers and what they're doing today to impact uh, uh, to impact uh, the lives of their customers and of their vendors. And then, of course, talk about Scott Harrison, who's uh, been in this church, member of this church, and who has written a book and uh, called Thirst. And uh, we talked through that. So these physical bees are out there. So what does, we're going back to royal jelly. What is this royal jelly made of for a biblical entrepreneur? What was it made of for uh, the separatists? What was the reaction? Why was that reaction so strong that we can't change the world? From, from some of the professors. It's interesting. What makes up uh, royal jelly for a biblical entrepreneur? Daily Bible study. All right, four ingredients, four key ingredients. This is simple stuff. We can all do it in our life. I mean, we go into some more detail. But daily Bible study. Well, certainly the separatists were into daily Bible study. Psalm 119. I'm going to underline uh, some of these things. 15 and 16. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing until it divides the soul and spirit, 
joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and purposes of our hearts. Why do we read the Bible every day? Because we got to figure out what in the world is going on out here. This is, it's our only filter into understanding what is going on in the world today. Daily prayer. Daily prayer. That his will be done. Yes, we obviously pray for ourselves and pray for healings and healing of issues we're having or peace. Of course, we pray for others. But daily prayer that his will be done. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the God you have in Christ Jesus. God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which is surpassing all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Great. That's two easy ones, right? Meditation. There's a lot of confusion out there about meditation. This is within the body of this royal jelly. Meditation is not... Uh, clearing your mind and sitting and humming and no, it's biblical. What we're talking about here is biblical meditation. Think through. Be a critic in thinking through and understanding what the scripture is saying. Do it while you're driving in the car. Chuck Chuck does it while he's walking in the morning. Meditate. Think it through. That's what meditation is all about. Think about the Bible and the specific passage and specific item that the Bible is telling you and allow the Holy Spirit and Christ to help you think it through. Joshua 1.8 Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Psalm 19.14 May these words of my... I love this one. It was part of my prayer growing up. Literally, my nightly prayer growing up. This, this was part of it. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. King James, be acceptable to thee, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here's one, and it's four simple ones. Remember, these are activities, actions that you can take. You can do these things on a daily basis. This is not waiting for something to happen to us. Now, here's the tough one. Fasting. Nobody likes to talk about fasting, at least in my experience. They'll talk about it, give it a little lip service. But regular fasting is a key ingredient and has been, for these biblical entrepreneurs, was, for the separatists, a key ingredient in their success. Why? Fasting, what are you doing? You're giving up something that you really like. You're doing something in the name of God for Him. Fasting's all over the Bible. I counted, and I'm a simple guy, I counted over 100 verses, over 102 verses in the Bible or sections of the Bible dealing with fasting. Matthew 6, 16 to 18. And when you fast, not if, when. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. 
for they disfigure their faces and their fasting so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say unto you, they have received their reward, which is nothing. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Secret things are left to the Lord. Deuteronomy 29.29. Look it up. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is between you and Christ, you and God. Fasting. We don't all run around saying, oh, I'm fasting today. I mean, I go through a regular fasting process. It's become a process. My wife fasts. We fast on a regular basis, but we don't talk about it. It's not like we make a big deal out of it. That's Christ's point. Don't make a big deal out of it. Just do it. Believe me. Psalms 69.10 When I wept and humbled my soul, humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. It's freedom. You're not bound by this thing called food. Think about it. Ezra. 8.21, then I proclaim a fast there at the river Ava, that we might humble ourselves before God and seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and our goods. Hmm, sounds like separatists to me. Now this all makes sense in a theoretical term. The idea again is putting it into action. We can do it and get out and do it. Very simple. So, they chuckled when I presented this uh, and made this point that we can change the world. Uh, I'll, I'll read the line that uh, I emphasized in the book. Modern bees can accomplish Nehemiah's goals. Rebirth and revitalization of downtrodden cities through entrepreneurial swarm behavior with his guidance. So, there we go. There's no way we can change the world. Uh, well, the separatists were a great example of people who changed the world. Now, what I did is, rather than dive into this uh, uh, separatists and really talk about in, in, in depth uh, all the pain and suffering they went through, I found two love stories. Two love stories from uh, this, this uh, uh, Mayflower voyage. However, let me back up a little bit and say that this has spawned, this statement by this professor has spawned the second book. So I thank him for it, you know, because we're going to talk about how these biblical entrepreneurs, these bees uh, called separatists, really changed the world and how they were able to do it and how unexpected it was. Working title, Bees in Action, How They Changed the World. It's a picture of today. This is also a picture of today. Think about this for a while. Today, what Chuck, Chuck talks about it on occasion. He says, well, hey, we have nowhere to go. Where are we supposed to go today? As we are criticized and as we are shunned for believing the Bible, for taking the word of God and believing it. They were shunned too, back uh, 400 years ago. 400 years ago, it's only 9 to 11 generations. This was not that long ago. In the history of the planet, 400 years ago was only 4%. It's only about 4% of the time. Our life here is about a half percent of the of, of the last 10,000 years. It's not that long ago. It's kind of interesting if you think about it. We think of this as ancient history. It's not. It was just any more than Madam C.J. Walker, who, who uh, passed away 100 years ago, 
she's still impacting. They're still impacting the world. So these two love stories on the Mayflower. You have to put this in context. The separatists genuinely believed wholeheartedly that they were living Exodus. They were living the book of Exodus. And they were living, actively living, the book of Acts, which we are studying now. They were in it. They were doing it. They did everything possible to follow these books. They studied it. They meditated on it. They prayed about it. They fasted. Before the journey, they fasted for days. Are we any better today? Have we evolved in some way? I don't think so. Are we any smarter than they were? No, we have better toys. That's all. We're not any smarter than they were in biblical times. In terms of intelligence. We just have better toys. Have we evolved into some great plane of thinking? No. All we, have to do, all we have to do is look at the Holocaust, and we know we haven't evolved as a people. We haven't. So, we're going to sum up their experience the way it was 400 years ago, the way it was 2,000 years ago, and see if you think this kind of sums up the experience today. Second Timothy 3. One to five. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant. Look at all this stuff they're listing. Proud, arrogant, abusive disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, this is never ends, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. I'm going to read this straight through again. But understanding, understand this, that in the last days there will, will come times of difficulty. In the last days there will come times of difficulty. For the people will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Let's let that sink in for a minute. Yeah, I mean, it's straight out, straight out of the New Testament. I mean, this could be written in some publication today. The separatists, separatists were separating from this behavior. That's what they were all about. Of course, with the Lord, there's always hope. <clears throat> the Lord is first holy. The Lord loves us. We know that. But he's first holy. And then he's a just God. What does that mean? He, he, 
because he's holy, he has to be, has to have justice. It's, they're linked. It's by definition. Because of this justice, he can show us love. See how that works? It's kind of a diagram. Boom, boom. We can then show love to one another. Now, how did this love show up in the Mayflower? Well, we got two love stories, as I talked about. The first is Alden and Mullins. And, and as a side note, these are, we'll just call them family. I'm, I'm direct from both of these. And then we're going to talk about Bradford and Carpenter slash Southworth. Imagine. Imagine the church is headed by the king. Right? Not so different than the Catholic Church. It's just, as we all know, uh, the king wanted to uh, control and power so he took charge of the church and made this reformed church. King James felt the Bible, the Geneva Bible, challenged his authority. So what did he do? He went out, created the King James Version, took away all of the everything that uh, he felt. Now don't panic. King James Version is a great is is a very solid Bible. There, because he took eight, they took eighty percent of of the uh, of the current Bible, and used that, but just changed some words around. And most importantly, he eliminated the footnotes, which were really he felt he was a paranoid guy. He felt were against him, and against the monarchy. In short, he felt the monarchy was only responsible to God. That was it. Direct, uh, direct passage. So uh, anything that 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 really uh, eliminated or undermined his uh, feeling uh, or his his feeling of paranoia, it created his feeling of paranoia. Um, was eliminated. The old English. It's a beautiful English. It wasn't spoken in the 1600s. It, it, that time was over. It was written to make it sound more regal, and so. But as I say, King James Bible, fine Bible, really uh, uh, a good, a good relation. Uh, Chuck wanted me to make sure and mention that. <laughs> You'd be jailed if we were here today, right now, right? We're here today. We're here gathered. It was truly an underground church in the 1600s, deep underground. They literally, the the church, the English church, Church of England, would send out people to gather us up. They would be looking for us right now and uh, throw them in jail. So you get thrown in jail or, yes, you get burned at the stake. Remember the Holocaust. We haven't come that far. They would meet in their houses. They would meet in caves. They'd meet in fields. They'd meet in ships. They'd meet in pubs. And they worshipped in prison as well. They also wrote. Interesting. One of these books that they wrote was actually written in the mark because they weren't allowed to write or be published. Uh, written in the margin, the book was, itself was written in the margins of another book uh, while in jail. This is a serious underground movement for the time, and it threatened the king. <clears throat> These prisons weren't the nice prisons that they are today. Okay, they were dirty. Most Hmm. I'm stretching it to say most. Many people would get sick and die in prison. This was almost, a, in some ways, a death sentence in a, of itself. And they, they were certainly underfed. It was, it was dirty uh, and just a mess. They were treated exceptionally poorly as well. 
was still happening back then. So, how in the world did they end up in England? Or why did they leave England and go first to Holland and then made another stop in England and then come to the New World, come to New England? I'm going to give you an example of a verse that they were following in the Bible. And uh, again, we've just simply come up with new ways to exterminate our threats. Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Imagine your only hope is to live by the Bible. The Bible doesn't hurt anybody. Really. It threatens people. A lot of threatening uh, people are getting nervous about the way they're living. They're actually challenged to think differently, to think about what they're doing. It doesn't, doesn't hurt anyone. I haven't found anything that actually hurts anyone. There is, like in Exodus, they're escaping into the wilderness. That's what they're doing. Isaiah 43. A voice is calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That was what we were doing. You know, Elwood Blues. We're on a mission from God, right? It's important to understand absolutely everything they were believed doing, they were believed was a calling from God, and they were being led to the promised land. They believed that they were the new people, the new children of Israel. They looked to the Bible as a pathway, a guide, on how to live their lives. I think we're doing the same thing. They believed that God was calling them out of Egypt. England was the new Egypt. They spent ten years in the Netherlands. They were in the wilderness, but it turned out it was worse, than, not worse, but not. their children were all moving away. Their children were joining the Dutch uh, military. Their children were surrounded by brothels. The Dutch would let anyone in. It's kind of funny because they actually left, let the separatists in. <laughs> so, so be careful what you wish for. It's kind of hard to overstate how crushing it would have been for them to go back to England. This is how firmly they believed in what they were doing. If they went back to England, they would be giving up on the Bible. This is the way it was for them. They wanted to reach the place that God had in store for them. So, sold everything. Now we're, now we're jumping ahead to uh, the book of Acts. Sold everything, combined it all in one place, boom, shared everything. And as a side note, while they lived there for two years, uh, they shared everything as well, but that didn't work. Communism, that's their term, didn't work. Uh, people had to be, this is the way God set it up, people had to be, uh, self-sufficient and work for themselves. And if you don't work for yourself, people didn't work as hard. This leads us to our first love story. Let me quote Proverbs 10, 31, 10. An excellent wife who can find her, for her worth is above jewels. 
Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Talk about John and Priscilla Mullins. Uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow uh, wrote a uh, uh, much-praised uh, poem about uh, this relationship, The Courtship of Miles Standish. These two people, <clears throat> so just to give you a picture, so Priscilla Mullins gets on the Mayflower with her family. She uh, gets on with her father, her brother, and her mother. Um, so they sail to the New World. Forget the harrowing journey, and it was a harrowing journey. They get there, and the first winter, remember, everyone dies. Over half of the population, everyone got sick, and over half of them died as a result of this. This is in the first two months. Well, her parents, brother, and brother were among those who died. She's there all alone in the New World. Okay. John Alden was this guy who was a uh, barrel. He fixes, fixed barrels. Now, remember, the only way food was stored was in barrels. That's the only way you could store food for any period of time. So he was a key guy. Um, so uh, he was a barrel, but just regular guy. He was a barrel. Uh, fix, fix, he fixed the barrels and made sure everything went well in terms of the food. He was hired by the separatists. He wasn't one of the separatists. Priscilla, of course, was one of the separatists. She was 18 years old, alone, over there in uh, the New World, <laughs> with, with, with 53 people at this point. I mean, there's nobody there. There's no help coming. There's no Internet. You can't call for help. You know, there's no boat coming. Standish had a wife, and she died in the first winter as well. Remember, everyone's dying around them. They're all dropping like flies. So he goes to his buddy, this guy John Alden. He goes to his buddy, and he says, hey, man, I'm really bad at talking to women. I'm great at giving orders. Standish, that is. He was captain of the military um, in, in the king's army or to the Queen's Army, excuse me, back in the day. So I'm really good at giving, he basically says, I'm really good at giving orders, but uh, I can't talk to women. Can you go ask her to marry me for me? All right. Alden had had his eye on this girl for a long time, but he's a good guy, a stand-up guy. So he goes and he asks uh, 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 Priscilla to marry him met for John Alden. For uh, Standish, Alden's bummed, obviously. And what was her response? <laughs> her response was, why don't you speak for yourself, John? All right, well, this created quite a tiff between uh, Standish and uh, Alden. So they're in the middle of arguing about this whole thing. When the but. And by the way, they called them Indians, all right? That's the word they use. So the Indians were at war, went to war, right in the middle of this whole uh, love saga going on. So Standish takes off to go uh, protect the colonists uh, from, from the Indians. Well, he's presumed dead, all right? Months and months go by. He doesn't return. He doesn't come back. Uh, I figure he's dead. So... What? So all the marries this woman, Priscilla. They get married. They're all happy. Everything's perfect, right? And a couple months later, Standa shows up. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? He's angry. But he says, look, had the time to meditate on this, had time to think about it. It's all good. I uh, wish them well, and they became uh, fam so that was the first 
bit. Oh, while Standish was off being dead, uh, the Mayflower went back. Interesting note. The Mayflower. All of this is going on, right? Everybody's dying. Ever. Nobody goes back on the Mayflower. They all stay. Everyone, top to bottom, they all decided to stay because, obviously, the Holy Spirit, something's driving them to stay instead of going back and saying, time out, everyone died, we don't have anybody left, by the way, I'm going to go back. No, they all stayed, everyone. Standish. A little summary, side footnote to this. Standish then uh, sends for a woman he really loved in England, and she arrives on the Anne in 1623, the ship, the Anne. That'll become, uh, that's an, the Anne was a regular love boat, uh, so to speak. So, um, Alice Carpenter and William Bradford. It's actually Alice Carpenter Southworth. And William Bradford. Proverbs 14.1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tear it down with her own hands. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tear it down with her own hands. 16.13. She was a young, lovely young lady, this Alice Carpenter. <laughs> so... She's getting uh, bequeathed. She's getting, um, she's got two guys that like her. All right? She's a great woman. She's organized. She has conviction. She's Bible-believing. She's got two guys hanging on her. One was Bradford and one was Southworth. All right, what happened? Remember, Chuck is uh, related to Bradford and uh, Alice. Her family was of some provenance. There's this idea that uh, all of the uh, separatists were this low-class citizens. and No, they were from all walks of life. Southworth was uh, from kings, literally. And uh, she was a very prominent family. At the... God takes everybody. So, following her parents' advice, she married uh, Edward Southworth. Okay? That would be my grandfather. Because they felt he was from royal blood. His family was royalty. There's still peaks of this. But the Lord works in... We have many stories in the Bible where the Lord uh, puts people together where they were supposed to. Bradford was bummed, married this woman. She gets on the Mayflower. They all get with their son. Um, uh, they get on the Mayflower. Uh, meanwhile, Edward uh, stayed with his, his family because he was very sick. He was super sick. Uh, <clears throat> they get on the Mayflower. They come over, as Chuck has talked about, uh, uh, his first wife, um, well, they were docked on the first night, and she jumped overboard. She was very depressed, uh, a little bit crazy. Died in 16... <clears throat> so, Southworth ended up dying in 1621, uh, leaving the two young children and his wife. This is a letter from, to Edward Southworth from, it's a little bit long, but that's okay. It gives you a real feel for what they were living in. This is from Robert Cushman to uh, Southworth. My most kind remembrance to you and your wife, Alice, wife, Alice Carpenter whom this world I will never look to see again. You see, uh, uh, Cushman was sick, was real sick, thought he was going to die. 
But this will give you a clue into how the forefront, what they were thinking, how they were so dialed into the Bible and what the Lord was saying to them. This, this just gives you a good feel for it. Whom the world I will never see again. For besides the eminent dangers of this voyage, which are, this is again to Edward Southworth from Cushman, when they're in England getting ready to leave. Which are no less deadly, and infirmity of body has seized me, which will not likely leave me in death. Our penance, this is the ship, the ship Speedwell, uh, will not cease leaking, else I think we have been halfway by now. Our voyage hither has been full of crosses, as ourselves have been, have been of crookedness. We put in here to trim her, and I think, as others also, if we'd have stayed at sea but three or four hours more, she would have sunk right down. Our victuals, food, will be half eaten up while they're still in England, before we go from the coast of England. And our <clears throat> voyage lasts long. We shall not have a month's victuals, uh, food, when we come to the country. Nearly 700 pounds is bestowed upon Hampton. We don't know where the money went. Martin says he will give an account, but no, there is no account given. We're suspicious of him. He, he flew away and is so, this is the captain, is so uh, mean to our poor people with such scorn and speaks to them with such scorn and contempt if they were not good enough to wipe his shoes. It would break your heart to see his dealings and the mourning of our people they complained to me, and alas, I can do nothing for them. If I speak to him, he flies in my face as mutinous, and no complaint should be heard or received but by himself. And Seth, they're froward and waspish, discontented people. I do Ill, Ill to hear of them. Friend, if we ever make a plantation, God works a miracle especially considering how scant we will be of food. And most of all, ununited among us and devoid of good tutors, violence will break all. Where is the mink and humble spirit of Moses and of Nehemiah who re-edified us and re-edified the walls of Jerusalem and the state of Israel? Is not the sound of Rehoboam's brags daily here among us? Only this, I pray you prepare for the evil tidings of us every day. But pray for us instantly that we may be the Lord, yet be entreated one way or another to make for us. I see not reason how we shall escape even the gasping of hunger-starved persons. But God can do much, and his will be done. It is better for me to die now than for, to bear, for I to bear it, which I expect it hourly, having received the sentence of both death within me and without me. Poor William, we do strive who shall meet the first to be, <laughs> and a friend of theirs, he, he's betting with a guy who, who's going to be first to meet with the fishes. You know, get thrown overboard. But looking upon this, in all things, and account for them in light in comparison with the joy we hope for. Remember me in all love to our friends, and if I name them, whose prayers I desire earnestly and wish again to see. The Lord gives us true comfort, which none can take from us. That which I have written is true, and many of the things which I have forborne. In other words, he didn't include it. I write it upon my life and the last confession in England. What, what is of use to be spoken presently, in other words, if you want to tell anybody, you may speak it, what is concealed, conceal. Pass by my weak manner, for my head is weak and my body is feeble. Lord, make me strong in him and keep both you and yours. Your loving friend, Robert Cushman. August 17, 1620. The guy lived. Robert Cushman goes and lives. 
He goes to the New World. Well, Southworth died. So what happens? Bradford's wife is dead. Mrs. Southworth is alone with two children. So what, is, what does Bradford do? He always had his eye on, uh, on Car- Ms. Alice Carpenter. Writes her a letter. Says, hey, will you marry me? She says, can you imagine this? She says, yes. And gets on a boat. To go where? This is how strong. <laughs> yeah, I'll marry you. She gets on this boat. It's not like uh, uh, getting on an airplane and going somewhere. This is so she arrives on the Anne, the regular love boat. For a hundred people crammed onto that Mayflower, the speedwell they ended up taking apart, stuffing it in the bowels of the Mayflower, and uh, uh, they were all crammed onto this thing. Disease. It was an awful journey. It was just terrible. They're running out of food. They're running out of beer. By the way, I want to mention, beer was the passage, uh, pasteurized food. Just like wine was. And I mean, people, people will say to me, well, Jesus drank wine. Well, yes, he did, because it's the only safe thing to drink. They were drinking beer. It was the only safe thing to drink. Water wasn't safe to drink. Just ask Scott Harrison, still going on today. Finally, they came to the shores of New England. They met up with these Indians, they had this Thanksgiving a year later, but I will tell you, it was not, they were scared to death. You had wild beasts out there. It was just a mess. This It was literally into the wilderness. There wasn't a hotel waiting for them when they got to the end of the trip. They had to build their own stuff. Do we have a spot for that today? I don't know. I don't think so. Thomas and Constance, which were her two children, they came. Uh, they came a couple months later, uh, years later, after they'd grown a bit. So, this is how we put all the pieces together. I'm a descendant of the Southworth of Constant. Tom, so, so this all makes sense when Chuck is talking about this. I'm just trying to make this all sense. He is a, a descendant of Bradford and Carpenter. I am a descendant of Southworth and Carpenter. And so we are half-brothers. All right? So that's how that works. This guy, Bradford, what a man. What a guy. I mean, he was out there. Uh, he was a learned man. He didn't go to college, uh, college. He didn't go to university. He didn't go to Cambridge. He, he, he was just a super learned guy. Spoke Hebrew. Spoke Greek. Spoke Dutch. Spoke English. Multiple things. They were living out the book of Acts. They were living out the book of Exodus. I'm going to finish up here with a context. And these two love stories, they went on, this group of people went on to create the world we have today. It's that simple. They were able to do it. And I think Calvin Coolidge really, and, and I'm going to finish up with this, I think Calvin Coolidge really put a key Uh, emphasis with this in an address. It's only 100 years ago. Remember 1%, about 1% of time ago. Three centuries ago today, the pilgrims of the Mayflower made a final landing at Plymouth Rock. They came not merely from the shores of the old world. It would be in vain to search among recorded maps and history for their origin. They sailed up and out of the infinite. There was among them a small trace 
of the vanities of life. There was among them small trace of the vanities of life. They came undecked with order and with orders of nobility. They were not children of fortune, but of tribulation. Persecution, not preference, brought them hither. It was persecution which they found a stern satisfaction. They cared little for titles, still less for the goods of this earth, but for an idea they would die. Measured by the standards of men and their time, they were humble of the earth. Measured by later accomplishments, they were the mighty. In appearance, weak and persecuted, they came rejected, despised, insignificant. In reality, they were strong and independent, mighty host of whom the world was not worthy. Destined to be free mankind, no captain ever led forces to such a conquest. Oblivious to rank, remember they lived as in the book of Acts, yet men traced them from lineage to a royal house, God. Forces not ruled by man had laid their unwilling course. In other words, God was involved. As they landed, a sentinel of providence, a humbler, nearer to nature than themselves, welcomed them in their own tongue. They came seeking an abiding place on earth, but lifted up their eyes to heaven. Their dearest country, heaven was their dearest country. And that abiding faith has been reared an empire, magnificent beyond the dreams of paradise. Amid the solitude, they set up a hearthstone, an altar, the home of the church. With arms in their hands, they wrung from the soil their bread. With arms, they gathered in the congregation to worship the almighty God. But they were armed that in the peace they might seek divine guidance and righteousness, that they may not prevail by force, but they might do right though they perished. What an increase, material and spiritual, 300 years has brought that little company is known to earth. No like body ever cast so great an influence on human history. Civilization is made of their landing place a shrine. Unto the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, it has been instructed to keep this shrine to her as she come a precious heritage. It will be kept as it was created, or it will perish, not with the earthly pride, but with heavenly vision. Plymouth Rock does not mark the beginning or the end. It marks a revelation that is without the beginning and without, without end, a purpose shining through eternity, resplendent light, undimmed by the imperfections of man, and a response, an answering purpose from those who, oblivious, disdain of all else, sailed hither, seeking only for an avenue toward the immortal soul. Who among us has the stuff to be separatists? Can we be separatists? Are we doing everything that God commands of us? No, of course not. Can we take action steps with royal jelly and have that be fed that royal jelly? I think so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for being with us today. Please help us to become all that you want us to be. Guide us in the ways and the strength of you. Thank us for this opportunity. Thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to have you join us here today. We thank you for all of those who have sacrificed so much, who have trusted and who have gone forward by one simple principle. I believe in God, I believe the Bible, and I believe that everything you have done on this earth is not only for your glorification, which it is, but for us as a people to grow closer to you. This is what prayer is about. 
This is what all parts of this royal jelly are about. This is what fasting is about. This is what meditation is about. This is what daily Bible study is about. It's about growing closer to you, to understanding our history, to understanding those who came before us in a clear light, the hardships that they endured only for one reason. And that reason was to be closer to you. To understand you. To understand your secret things. We thank you for this time, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.